This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon. You're listening to Live and Learn with me, Dashran Johan. Human Resource Minister V. Sivakumar of DAP Pakatan Harapan recently announced a deferment from micro-businesses, giving them another six months, uh, which is up to July, before they have to comply with the minimum wage laws and raise their employee salaries to at least 1,500 ringgit. The new minimum wage of 1,500 ringgit had already come into effect nationwide from May 2000. And 22 last year, but micro businesses were given an exemption and would initially have to start paying the higher rate from January 1st this year. So, what is the impact of this deferment on minimum wage earners working for micro businesses ar- around around the country? Joining me on the show today to discuss this is Irene Xavier. She's the co-chairperson of LLRC, which is the Labour Law Reform Coalition. Welcome to the show, Irene. How are you? I'm fine, thank you, Dustin. Irene, um, let's get some overall thoughts. Um, when you heard the announcement by um, Human Resource Minister um, V. Sivakumar, what, were, what thoughts ran into your mind? Basically, I think the minister doesn't realise that 1,500 is not really a, a, a wage on which a person can live in Malaysia. Uh, so not to allow our workers... Uh, those employed in micro investments, as you call it, they would be workers who who do not have uh, many good opportunities for a job and so on. So it means that they are people who really need a decent wage. So to deny them, I think, is is wrong of the ministry. Right. But, you know, Irene, in in Malaysia, micro-businesses are defined as companies that have an annual sales turnover of less than 300,000 ringgit. Or more importantly, um, people also focus on the fact that, you know, these companies have employees of less than five people. Now, some might argue that because these are tiny businesses, implementing the minimum wage of 1,500 ringgit may strain these businesses or even cause them to close down and, and, you know, cause further job loss, Um, you know, especially, you know, in a time where people are talking about recession and whatnot. How would you respond to this? Uh, I think that it's just looking at one side of the picture uh, because uh, in, the, in the first place, if you run a business, you should be able to sustain it. Right. Now, if the government feels that they need to help people run small businesses, then they should then step in to uh to fix the gaps, right? That should be what the government should do. And the next thing is a government is part of this tripartite system. So they're supposed to be uninvolved, to be a kind of a referee in this uh, relationship between the employers and the employees. Now, in this case, the government is clearly looking at what the businesses uh, need but the government is not looking at what the workers need. So basically, the government is failing in its duty towards its citizens who need their help. Yeah, so the help should be both ways. 
you said that if the government, you know, would re- really wants to create an ecosystem where they want to support and, and promote uh, micro businesses, small businesses and whatnot, that they should step in. And um, what do you mean by them stepping in? Are you talking about providing subsidies um, to small businesses? Or what do you mean by the government stepping in? Yeah, there, there are several things that the government can do. Mm-hmm. One, of course, is subsidies uh, to offer them some kind of uh, handout in terms of finance. Right. But the government should also look at training these these uh, uh, businesses, helping them become more sustainable. In the long run, that will help businesses who will not always remain at this very low point. Uh, in in their role as businesses, right? So, yeah. So now the the Malaysian Employers Federation, um, they repeatedly um, sing songs about how businesses will shut down if there is an increase in minimum wage or if we implement it. I mean, every time there is discussion about minimum wage, the the MEF steps in and then they'll be like, "No, this is bad. Um, businesses are going to shut down. Um, you know, by doing this, you don't you're saying that you don't care about businesses, that you don't support businesses. These are the kinds of arguments that we hear all the time." But are these statements, is this argument actually based on facts, Irene? They're defending the position of employers because they're supposed to represent the employers. So naturally, they will. Uh, I would expect them to speak like this. Uh, but I won't take that so seriously because they're just doing uh, their, their clients uh, a favour. But I think... We need to look at the broader picture of the country in terms of development. And development needs uh, to be based not only on the business point of view, but also on the workers' point of view. Uh, There are many things uh, which are wrong in Malaysia where workers are concerned, and uh, nobody is uh, bothered about that. Uh, So there, there are things that we need to look at to ensure that workers have a decent job in the country. I think you bring up a good point, right? I mean, they are representing the employers. They have to, you know, protect their the employers' rights and, and so on and so forth and, and make noise on behalf of the employers. But I'm wondering if the noise that they are making, is it does data support it? Um, you know, when they say that, oh, if you implement minimum wage, you're going to, you know, ruin the, the small business industry or the micro business industry. Businesses are going to shut down and things like that. Um, are, are, does the data support that every time um, there is a high in minimum wage in Malaysia or an implementation of, of minimum wage laws that suddenly there's like, you know, that the whole business ecosystem, um, like less and less people get into business, the number of uh, micro businesses and small businesses start to shrink. Uh, does the data support that or are, are we seeing a, a growth in, in small businesses um, from year to year to year um, regardless of the, these minimum wage laws? I mean, I, I don't know whether anyone has actually done any kind of uh, research this. But uh, looking around us, we can see that businesses keep growing all the time. There are other reasons why businesses stop, down, uh, stop for example, or shut down. Uh, for example, during the pandemic, when people were not uh, allowed to travel, they were not, not allowed to go out, Then there were many businesses who couldn't sustain for more than a couple of months and they did shut down. That kind of reasons uh, is valid. But in terms of what 
the Employees Federation is saying, I think it's not valid at all. Right. So, what would you say is the impact of this deferment on minimum wage earners in micro-businesses? Because it's not just the first time this, there is this deferment. Um, like I mentioned in the introduction, it was supposed to, the implementation of this minimum wage law was supposed to come into effect last year, May, but they gave the deferment, they gave the leeway for micro-businesses until till January this year, and then again another deferment now until July. What is the impact on this uh, of this on minimum wage earners in micro-businesses? I think it, it is going to make life very difficult for uh, low-wage earners uh, because we, we have to see that because these workers mainly are unrepresented. Uh, they, they are not part of a union. Uh, the union itself, the, the whole union uh, business is not very strong. Unions are not speaking up. Uh, they are not uh, opposing the things uh, that the government is doing, unlike the employers who are very quick to respond. Uh, unions are a bit slow about all these things. So I think workers are very unrepresented in the country. And therefore, they have a very raw deal. Uh, it is ridiculous in this country that you have to work really long hours to earn enough to put food on, your, on, on the table. Uh, workers in low-wage industries which is a majority of industries in the country, are really uh, in a very bad state. They all work very long hours. If not, they cannot survive on the eight-hour work that they do. Uh, so minimum wage is not helping in, uh, in their situation. And then the little help that they are going to do, you take that away, it really makes things worse. Particularly, I feel for women uh, who who are single uh, mothers and so on, it's they it's very difficult for them to take care of the family, and uh, and you don't want to give them the minimum wage that they should be given. Yeah. I want to circle back to unions in in just a second, but you know. In an interview with Malaysia Kini, um, the organization that you're part of, um, LLRC, said, and I quote, employees who are denied the monthly earnings of the national minimum wage until next July will lose out on RM4200, which can go a long way for a B40 family. Why is this important to highlight? Yeah, because we are talking about uh, basic necessities of people. So if 4,200 affects you, it means that you are talking about uh, the very basic necessities. You're not talking about other things, you know, like entertainment, that kind of thing. You're talking about food. You're talking about medicine. You're talking about sending children to school. So definitely it affects people who are in this uh, situation. Uh, you know, earlier we... we heard from, I think, uh, an organization, I don't remember who, uh, who did a study on uh, children in Kuala Lumpur, in the flats areas, 
and they were malnourished. Now, this this is the statistic of really poor countries, and Malaysia is not a poor country, and uh, that is what is happening. So many children do not get their nutritional uh, needs, and uh, I think government needs to look at this. Absolutely. All right, we do need to go for a very quick break. On the show with me today is Irene Xavier, co-chairperson of LLRC, which is the Labour Law Reform Coalition. After the break, I ask her if we as a society need a collective shift in mindset when it comes to the issue of minimum wage. Keep it here on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn. I'm Dashran Johan. And on the show with me today is Irene Xavier. She's the co-chairperson of LLRC, which is the Labour Law Reform Coalition. And we are discussing Human Resource Minister uh, V. Sivakumar's decision to defer the implementation of minimum wage on micro-businesses until July. So, Irene... um. You know, just recently, the the government talked about labour shortage in Malaysia and how it's going to be a challenge to deal with that. Um, so, so this is a bit pecu- peculiar to me, a bit baffling, because how can there simultaneously be a worry of labour shortage and also businesses shutting down, which would sub- subsequently cause a loss of jobs? How can these two things, um, um, uh, you know, you know, exist simultaneously? Because if businesses like micro-businesses do shut down, the labour, the workforce that are now will be unemployed um, because of these businesses shutting down can just be absorbed into the other areas, other sectors where you uh, predict that there's going to be a labour shortage. Um, um, how do you process this, Irene? Yeah, I, I think it points to really mismanagement of the, of the economy. The economy is not being managed properly. Uh, the kinds of jobs that are encouraged are low-paying jobs. Uh, that's why we are uh, going towards uh, foreign workers, for example, so that we can keep the wages low and invite investments. And this is really bad, especially that these companies produce not just for, uh, it's not like your local mawat shop on the street, but these are people producing things for very large markets in, in the world. Right. Part of the supply chain. But the wages in these companies are very, very low. Uh, this, this we see, for example, in uh, many manufacturing companies, even uh, in the field of electronics, for example, wages are still low. Uh, And therefore, Malaysians are not really benefiting in the long run. They are not upskilling themselves. Industry is not upskilling. So this whole situation, I think, is uh, it's just nobody's thinking about it properly and trying to Look for long-term solutions. I think this is the problem in the country. So, shifting gears a little bit, um, another argument against a minimum wage in general, or you know, every time there's an increase in in the minimum wage, um, you hear this argument, and that is increasing minimum wage will increase the cost of living, such as prices of property, prices of food, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What is your response to these arguments? I think uh, we have not made a distinction 
between what we need to protect at a minimum, like for example, prices of low-cost houses or houses for the, the poor. Uh, we, we are not investing in these things. And uh, therefore, even the poor have to pay very high prices for a thing like a house or a car and so on. So uh, the, the country is not managed in a long-term economic uh, uh, in, 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 it is not looking at these things. So I think we really need to to reset our thinking. Uh, we need to make sure that the country takes care of the poor and then we look at other things. So we need to protect uh, housing for the poor, we need to protect food for the poor and so on. Uh, which we are not doing. And in fact, everybody is paying taxes. Even the poor are paying taxes. Um, so our country is not uh, set to, to be developed, uh, to be a high-income country yet. Right. Um Irene, do you think we need a philosophical shift in mindset? I'm not just talking about government. I'm talking about society at large, uh, you know, even middle class people and, and so on and so forth. Because a lot of times the approach or concern is always businesses. Um, you know, they will bring up uh, uh, things like inflation. You cannot increase the minimum wage. You, cost of living, you cannot increase the minimum wage. And the protection and the perspective, it's always come, uh, comes from the, the angle of how do we protect businesses instead of workers, right? Um, even in this context, the argument is, how do we protect the very small businesses? How do we keep them afloat um, at, by any means necessary rather than how do we protect the workers in these industries? Or why are workers in micro-businesses specifically getting discriminated against in this current period? Um, do you think we need a, a philosophical shift in mindset to to you know, to to start thinking about the plight of labor, the plight of workers, um, people who receive paychecks. Yeah, I, we certainly need a shift in our thinking about these things, uh, because we we uh, totally do not think about these concerns at all. Whenever we are planning, whenever we are doing things, we are not thinking about these things. So these people get more and more marginalized and the kinds of jobs that result because of this kind of mindset is again uh, like the gig economy is, is flourishing causing more people young people at that uh, to live on this kind of wages uh, which is not sustainable which will not help them when they grow old uh, you know but that is the kind of economy that we are that we are uh, increasing, that we are promoting. Uh, so we are not thinking about these things. We are just thinking about today. But what about uh, things of the future? Especially, for example, let's say the economy is, uh, is an aging economy. Right? People are going to live longer after their retirement. Now where are they going to get the money to, to live longer? The average, I think, in 
in a maximum of 10 years, you lose up all your savings from your EPF and all that. It's finished. But you will still, still have to live for another 10 years maybe after that. Then where do we get the money? So our, we really need to rethink. We really need to think about the value of jobs. We need to think about protection of jobs. Uh, we need to encourage uh, freedom of association. We need to encourage workers to form effective unions uh, and not just let one or two big unions represent uh, people. And, and uh, you know, like for example, the rubber gloves, they're not unionized. Because in the rubber glove industry, which is now a very top industry in the country. Right. They're not unions. And why is that? So these are the questions we need to to ask ourselves. And and that is, in fact, the question that I want to throw to you, right? Um, because you brought up unions a couple of times, and, and I, I think that's a, you know, it's a very important to discuss that. Because I'm wondering if one of the reasons, you know, this issue of minimum wage um, and, and so on and so forth, it's it's always a big problem. You you get a lot of, de- you know, like, like a lot of resistance uh, from the part of government, from the part of businesses and so on and so forth. I'm wondering if all of this happens because the working class simply isn't organized in Malaysia. I, I believe only 6% of the Malaysian workforce is unionized. And when we compare to Denmark, right, the country where people say, oh, how do McDonald's workers in Denmark get $22 uh, dollars an hour? Um, you know, about 75% of their workforce is unionized. Um, workers in Malaysia simply lack the bargaining power compared to businesses. So do you, how, how do we improve the collective bargaining power among Malaysian workers? How do we get to you know, um, if not all the way to Denmark, where seventy five percent, but at least you know to twenty percent, thirty percent, you know something like that, because six percent is incredibly low. Yeah, it's it's incredibly low. Uh, that is because of the restrictions that have been placed on trade unions in the country. Right. We still have a very cold war mentality. Uh, you know, controlling the unions and don't allow any kind of left wing uh, thought to come in and, uh, you know, destroy the economy they feel. Uh, we need to get out of that and deal with the reality as it is. Everybody needs a job. Everybody needs a job that pays them enough so that they don't have to slave for 14 hours a day or 12 hours a day uh, to earn enough to live. So we need to change that. And uh, for that, we need to open up avenues for workers to form unions. Now it is so, uh, you, you have to choose between joining a union or having a job. Many workers have that choice. You're going to lose your job, so we don't unionize because you lose your job. So, I mean, these kind of choices shouldn't be given to workers. Workers always should have a right to a decent job a right to form, uh, to join a trade union of their choice, uh, to make the trade union represent them. Uh, we we need to promote this, and uh, it's it's you know, passing the amendments to the Trade Union Act has been such a long and difficult process. Even now, it is stuck. Uh, some unionists 
in industries where workers earn very high wages, uh, they are the ones who are opposing this uh, because they don't want to lose their grip on the unions that they have. And, and they're not looking. Actually, when you say 6%, you also include the uh, the public sector workers. Right. So if you take away the public sector workers, then we only have about 3% of the workforce which is unionized. Yeah, so that's, that's really bad. So we need to uh, start thinking in a different way. Every worker has a choice to form or to join a union that he wants. You don't restrict his choices and say, this is the only union that you can join. And uh, the days of all these uh, big, large unions that never really help workers is gone. It should go. You know, the largest union that we had those days was the plantation workers. And the plantation workers are about the lowest paid in the whole country. Right. And, you know, and working under very bad conditions. So even now, plantation work is very difficult work. Uh, local Malaysians do not want to work in the plantations, and I don't blame them because of such bad uh, working conditions. And so then we recruit all sorts of people across our border in Sabah and Sarawak. People just come from uh, Kalimantan, they just come in and work under whatever conditions that you provide. Uh, their children work, you know, so. I think we really need to rethink these things. Absolutely. And the thing is, right, we are merely talking about implementing the already existing law of 1,500 ringgit minimum wage. But looking at it from a broader perspective, is 1,500 ringgit sufficient minimum wage in the first place? Because, you know, it's not a living wage. That's not. Uh, it's not only... It's not a living wage. It's far away from a living wage. Right. Because uh, the, the, uh, in, in surveys that say we should be earning about 2,000 ringgit over for a single person to live. So 1,005 actually puts you in the category of the poor in the country. So we are not talking about... Uh, uh, a wage that is sufficient in any way for a person. Yeah. So all those who work on the minimum wage work long hours. They cannot live on eight hours a day for it's not possible. All right. Before we wrap this conversation up, Irene, would you have a final message for us? I think we all should recognize that labor is a very legitimate part of the economy and it should be protected. They should have freedom of association. Uh, you shouldn't stop them from improving their work choices. Uh, so I would say we should encourage unionizing and employers who are thinking, no, uh, get rid of unions. Uh, they are really living in the age of the dinosaurs. We have gone so far ahead. Thank and you. 
And on that note, thank you so much for speaking with me today, Irene. That was Irene Xavier. She's the co-chairperson of LLRC, the Labour Law Reform Coalition. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashran Johan, and this has been Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, Download the BFM app.